Live from Studio 6B on a Tuesday night on Real America's Voice, Dish Network Channel 219, Pluto TV Channel 240. Glad you're in. Busy night. Gang's all here. Paul Nolan's going to have the news. Mr. Nolan, how are you? I'm good, buddy. I'm, I'm, uh... I'm doing better than last night when I was a little pissed off. <laughs> well, that's not setting the bar all that high. Rick Delgado's here. <laughs> Rick, how are you? I am uh, always uh, more positive than Paul. All right. Uh, still not setting the bar too high. Not Rick really. Emirati's here, <laughs> decked out in pink that only you can wear. Looking good, sir. How are you? <laughs> Thank you, sir. Very good. Big day. How are you? I'm very good, and I'm actually really good because we're starting the show tonight with um, – well, we're raised the level, as we always do, because please welcome in the founder and editor-in-chief of Justin News, Mr. John Solomon. Mr. Solomon, how are you? I'm good, Damon. Good to join your gang tonight. It is good, to, always good to have you. And, um, I mean, there's so much to talk about here. I'm not exactly sure where to start with you, but I, I guess... Uh, who killed JFK? <laughs> uh, I knew that was coming one of these times. <laughs> yeah. Just um, kidding. Be- before we get to what you're reporting on Justin News and kind of your, your, your overall thoughts of where we are, I want to. W- one of the things you had on, the, on Justin News yesterday at about 4 o'clock was that it said President Trump's campaign scored two victories Monday in its effort to contest results in several key battleground states as Michigan state legislatures agree to hold a hearing into election irregularities. Then, about two hours later, we hear that Michigan certifies the results. So is the state legislature being completely ignored in Michigan? Let's start there. What's going on there? Uh, there are really two processes going on at the same time. You've got the executive branch controlled by Democrats in the uh, Michigan uh, that is trying to push through the results and get Joe Biden into the White House. And you've got a Republican legislature that's saying, hey, wait a second, we see some problems, some really big problems. So did the, the Board of Canvassers in Wayne County. So did a whistleblower by the name of Jesse Jacob. So we want to get to the bottom of that. And so that hearing is going to be on Monday, uh, or excuse me, Tuesday in Michigan, I believe it is. Uh, Monday, there's going to be a hearing in an Arizona legislature. And tomorrow, we're going to get a hearing. This was just announced a little bit ago in Pennsylvania. So three key battlegrounds, all three of their legislatures, all Republican-controlled, uh, are going to hold hearings in the next week, giving a venue to Rudy Giuliani, the Trump campaign, and others to expose what evidence of wrongdoing they have found in this election. Uh, it's, the, uh, it's the legislative branch exercising its will. And as you know, uh, Section 1, uh, sorry, Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution says, at the end of the day, the only gang that gets to set the rules for election is the state legislature. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that the election was, I think, three weeks ago, I guess, tonight, right? And the next day, the next day I came on this show and I said, I'm going to sound the alarm right now in Georgia for what looks like, or maybe it was two days after, about these runoffs. Because when you look at it, you talk about the state legislatures, 31 states where Republicans control the legislature, 24 of those, they have the trifecta with the governor, and I think 18, they hold the supermajority. But yet, you look at what's going on in Georgia. You look at what's going on. It's almost as if we just, they all might as well be California, because you sometimes you shake your head and you just wonder, what is going on in these places? Georgia's state legislature, as far as, far as I know, has not had any kind of um, special session to get together and say, here's what the playing field is for these runoffs on January, I guess it's January 3rd or January 5th. And why are we to expect that this is going to go any differently on January 5th in Georgia than it went on November 3rd? Do you have any reason to think it's going to be any different? 
Well, there's certainly going to be a lot more pre-scrutiny. I think Georgia was taken for granted a little bit by the Republicans. Stacey Abrams uh, made clear she was going to put everything she had into this election, and she did. And and I don't think the Republicans, both at the state level, the Secretary of State, uh, were uh, really watching things. And I don't think the National Party put enough resources to counter what Stacey uh, Abrams was thinking of doing and, and did, in fact, do. Now, now the question is, did what happened there, were there illegalities? And I think watch the Linwood lawsuit. That is one uh, a matter that's starting to wind through. And tomorrow, I'm hearing that Sidney Powell, on her own, separate of the Trump campaign, is going to file a lawsuit in Georgia as well. Uh, I think Georgia is going to become a big legal battleground, even if the Republican leaders and the state legislature haven't been that aggressive. I think you're going to see the courts get involved all of a sudden. I asked Molly McCann, who was on the show last night, who's not specifically work. She works with Sidney Powell, but not specifically on right. this, she told me. Um, I asked her where the first evidentiary hearing was going to be, and she couldn't tell me. It looks like, obviously, like you said, now we know tomorrow it's gonna, he's, she's going to file in Georgia. And that leads right. me to one of the concerns. It seems to me so far, are you concerned with how easily so far everything has been dismissed? These judges seem like they're giving kind of the back of the hand and almost like in an embarrassing way to almost embarrass the legal team. It seems like we can't even get they can't even pass the hurdle to be able to get to some kind of evidentiary hearing to be able to get to that next step. Does that concern you that this keeps happening? Uh, we've seen this over the last 10 or 20 years, the politicalization of the federal bench. Uh, and it usually has to get to the appellate court or to the Supreme Court before things get to a level where there's a sense that the both parties are treated fairly. I think uh, you saw what happened. Pennsylvania judge smacks it out right away, smacks um, uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani's lawsuit down. And then two days later, the federal appeals court, Third Circuit Court of Appeals, grants expedited review to the Trump campaign. So as it moves up the... Um, uh, the chain of the court. I think the, the Trump campaign is going to get a better audience, a more serious audience than some of these judges in the first uh, first round. The judge in Pennsylvania basically said, I just don't think I have the inter authority to intervene. Well, that doesn't say much if you don't think you're a judge and have authority. So I think as it gets up the chain, it's, you know, the, the, the Trump campaign's legal arguments and their evidence is going to be tested. And if they can meet the threshold, they're going to get they're going to get a good audience. The first judges are just the opening round. Think of it as spring training in a long season. Yeah, I thought I read something that the Third Circuit today in Pennsylvania had also slapped this down, saying that that they weren't that they had reviewed it. I, I thought I read something, but maybe I'm incorrect. You yeah. know, it seems like I hope I didn't miss that. Yeah, I hope I hope I hope not either. I'm I thought I read something that they kind of smacked it down again in the Third Circuit uh, Court of Appeals, but maybe I'm wrong okay. about that. Um, because, of course, the worst case scenario here is that it, 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 you get the impression that if the Trump legal team continues down the path that it seems like we're going, where whether they're tripping over their own feet, whether it's too much to put together too quickly, whatever it is, that this pre we're setting a precedent where the Supreme Court is not really they're, – they're not making a, a logical legal argument for the Supreme Court to even take under consideration how fraudulent and the realities of what this mail-in voting has done. And then again, are we set with this for every election going forward? That's really the concern, isn't it? That's it is a real concern. And listen, we had a poll today at Justin News done by our good pollster, Scott Rasmussen. A gigantic supermajority of Americans believe the following things. Voter rolls uh, should be cleared of dead names and inappropriate and un ineligible reporters. That election votes should be counted and received by election night, not go into overtime days later. Uh, and that election observers shouldn't be 
jettisoned from uh, being able to observe the ballot counts. All three of those things happened in this election by a large majority, between 70 and 88 percent, depending on the reform or depending on the good standards of uh, voting. Americans support many of the things that didn't happen this election. That has to be a wake-up call to the Republicans and the Democrats that we got to clean up this election system, no matter how the Trump v. Gore cases end up. You uh, mentioned Sidney Powell before. She Obviously, we, we've seen what's going on between her and Nick. What, whatever we chalk it up to, whether it was a falling out, whether whatever it was. At this point, I'm not really sure that it makes a difference. She says she's going to file tomorrow in Georgia. Um, is there, given that what she has said that she has and the, the, in, the fi- in the size of this filing and what she, she was on Lou Dobbs tonight, I think, and still talking about it, sure. still firing bullets, um, is there any way that you think she won't be able to get to a discovery phase in Georgia on this case? Uh, I'd like to see the body of evidence that she has. I mean, she's kept her cards pretty close to her vest. She's had sort of a broad stroke picture of what she thinks is there. But, you know, Sidney Powell is an evidence digger. You saw it all through the Mike Flynn case. How many times did she come up with bombshells or force the Justice Department to release bombshells when we had heard for months, ah, there's nothing left on on the Mike Flynn case? Well, she proved otherwise. She's a bulldog lawyer. And, uh, you know, what I'd like to do is let's see what her evidence is tomorrow and then begin to judge it. We've got to follow the facts. The fact that both Lynn Wood and her two very accomplished, successful high-winning lawyers are both focusing on Georgia, tells me that something's afoot there. Now we'll look at the evidence and judge it. Uh, but, you know, the, the fallout between the Trump campaign and Sidney Powell is a little contrived. She never was on the team. She was supporting, playing a background role and showing her support, but she never was part of the team and directly related. I think the fact that they took different paths is more just a question of legal strategy than it is some concern about the two not getting along or not having evidence that that um, you know they believed in. I, I, I can't wait to see what Sidney Powell files, I and mean, we're gonna when we see it, we'll know how good it is, and then we can go follow the paper trail and the evidentiary trail and get to the truth. Yeah, the last time you were on, I think, was the day that you had announced the Amistad project that was taking over in some of these uh, cases that they yeah. were gonna file. I know you had an article today about. I think they do, were doing something either in Arizona they filed or in Nevada. So tell us oh. about that the story you had on Justin News yeah. today. Big one today is Wisconsin, and, and the reason it's big is it's the first evolution of a case to go beyond, all right, here are the constitutional arguments, and here are the theories, and here's even some statistical analysis. Today, the Amistad Project put a number that they believe are fraudulent or improperly counted ballots in Wisconsin at 150,000. Why is that significant? There's only a $20,000 a 20,000 vote difference between Joe Biden and uh, Donald Trump in the state. So when someone comes in with legal ammunition saying, based on this evidence, these affidavits, these votes, these rule changes, we show this pool of votes, 150,000, you can make a pretty compelling argument if the court accepts the evidence that the, the, the final outcome can be called into question. That's been one of the problems for the Trump campaign in its early lawsuit. It hasn't convinced a judge that whatever they're describing was widespread enough yeah. to have changed the vote. In Wisconsin today, Amistad Project put a very big number on. Now we got to see if the court accepts the, the rationale and the evidence. But I, I think it was a significant legal strike today and one of the cases I'm watching very closely. Yeah, because it seems like simple math is one of the things that comes down to because you have yeah. people arguing 
even more conservative voices who you wouldn't necessarily think are so ready to bail out so quickly, but they seem like they are just, they want to just say, okay, listen, get out of the way and let's just get going here. Vote people, you know, from national, other places, Andy McCarthy. It just seems like uh, math is where everybody falls. Well, you're not going to find enough votes to make a difference and they're not going to disenfranchise 7 million people in Pennsylvania. And um, so which one is it, though? Is it that or is it follow the Constitution? State legislatures have plenary power here. Which one is it going to be? You know, it could end up being a hodgepodge. Maybe one legislature gets involved because they don't like what they see and two fall into the courts. I don't think we have a clear cut path to understanding how Trump uh, uh, ultimately can prevail yet. We can see what they're doing. We can see that they've raised pretty serious and real evidence of wrongdoing. Now the question is, what's the path to getting it? It's not so much Donald Trump needs 270 electoral votes right now. He needs to erase from the current tallies uh, credited to Joe Biden and get him below 270 to throw it to the to the legislatures and to the Congress. That's the strategy. And, uh, you know, we got to let these cases play out. I, I, it would be lying to you to say, hey, he's got a 50-50 chance. He doesn't. It's probably a 10 or 15% chance right now. Uh, but there are some very important uh, 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 new evidence coming in, new lawyers getting involved, new approaches, and the American public are going are gonna to let it play out. And in a few weeks, we'll know whether Trump prevailed or whether Biden prevailed. But, uh, you know, it is a long shot. There's a lot of work that has to be done, a lot of proof gathered. And uh, proving voter fraud has always been one of the hardest things to do in America. Uh, particularly when you're looking at it in a systemic or, or widespread fashion. Uh, but listen, there's lots of evidence for the first time that very bad things, things that the American public now say in our poll, they do not support. Well, they happened in this election. We got to get real with that no matter how the final outcome of this election goes. Can you hold on through the break? Love to. Thanks. John Solomon here live from Studio 6B. A couple more things we'll cover with him. We're back in a couple minutes. If you're on social media, stay with us. We're not going anywhere. We'll be right back. Live from Studio 6B, 17 past the hour on a Tuesday night. Um, John Solomon was joining us in the first segment. He's been nice enough to hold over. Let's welcome him back now. Mr. Solomon, welcome back to the show. So I don't know if you heard us talking in the social media break. I did. I loved it. It was fun. I was smiling the whole time. (laughs) Okay. So we have a couple (laughs) questions for you. So Rick Delgado wants to know, um, the Georgia governor seems to have been MIA for the last whatever. And this kind of goes to my state legislature issue in Georgia, too. I mean, they've done nothing to kind of set the playing field for January 5th to say, here's what's going to be. You've already got ballots going out like I heard Marsha Blackburn the hour before say they're going out like publisher clearinghouse uh, envelopes so what what where are we with Georgia and the governor and um, you know Sidney Powell's made a lot of accusations about what's going with these leaders in Georgia so where are we with Georgia you know, I, I think the Linwood Sidney Powell lawsuits, if they come together and they come to fruition, like we think tomorrow, Lynn Woods is already working there. They're going to put pressure because they're going to expose things that the governor and the secretary of state have tried to sweep under the rug. Here's my assessment. I've talked to a lot of people on the ground in Georgia, a uh, long time, you know, uh, uh, political actors, uh, state committee men. They think that the leadership of Georgia is very scared by the demographic changes going on in Georgia. We got a lot of northern blue staters coming down to Georgia, settling in. The African-American community has been whipped up in a very big way by the good efforts of Stacey Abrams. And if you're a Republican, you don't want to rock your boat too much because you're always thinking about your next election there. I think that's what I hear on the ground. Again, I haven't talked to Governor Kemp. I've been trying to get him on my podcast. I hope I do. 
but I think there's a little bit of play it safe with the Republicans. The great dynamic there is that competition from a Lynn Wood lawsuit and a, um, a Sidney Powell lawsuit could put pressure on them. Here was something I saw play out over the weekend. It was really strange. Governor Kemp certified the results, but also said, I think we ought to do a signature uh, verification process. Let's go through and match the signatures up. That sounded like a good idea. I know the president was applauding it. And then a couple days later, Georgia said, uh, we can't do it. We didn't keep the records. or you know, They had some excuse for why they couldn't do that. That shows you the weakness of the Georgia system. If you have a ballot verification system that relies on signatures and you can't go back a week later because you have questions and verify the signatures, you've got a real problem. Uh, I think Georgia is going to become a messy state for the next few weeks. You've got the, the big runoffs. Everybody's going to be pouring money in. There's going to be more ballots on the ground. At the same time, you've got two, a governor, secretary of state playing it safe and two lawyers, two big gunslinging lawyers shooting at the last uh, election results from the last four weeks. And it could create the perfect riches brew to, to get a debate going. Maybe the Republicans will be forced into action because of legal uh, uh, evidence that's made uh, standard. Maybe more people will keep an eye on the runoffs than they, had, than they did in the general election where they took Georgia for granted a little bit. Um, I think Georgia is going to be one of the most fun battleground states over the next three, four weeks. You know, Michigan, Pennsylvania, pretty large leads. Georgia is still pretty skinny uh, a lead. And if uh, Sidney Powell or Lynn Wood can knock some of the votes out legitimately with a good legal argument, evidentiary stuff, um, it could become one of the first places where uh, an all-out shootout in the, in the courts begins. Um, so to that point, before we get to Paul's question about social media and my question about what we do about that, um, without Pennsylvania, though, so what in your, in your mind right now, where, what is the math? Even with the perfect storm, the president can't get there without Pennsylvania, can he? He's got to knock out three of the big states, right? And, uh, and uh, it doesn't feel like Arizona and Nevada are much in play right now with the legal team. I know they're going to have the hearing in Arizona, but I'm not seeing a lot of legal action there. So it seems like Georgia, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania are the four states. Of those, Georgia has the smallest lead. Wisconsin has the second smallest lead. And then Pennsylvania and Michigan are a little bit larger. But there's also very substantive arguments for large um, uh, yeah. votes being called into question in those two states. Uh, but I think those are the four states that this is going to come down to. And Trump's got to flip three of them, I think, uh, some combination of three of them to get uh, Joe Biden back below 270. So like I said, it's a, it's a long haul. This is not an easy task for the president. And every day that passes, it gets a little harder. But, you know, there's still some evidence that is just being exposed. And I think we should let it play out and learn from it. And, and then we're going to know in the first week of December, probably the week after Thanksgiving, we're going to know whether the president has any shot or not. We're going to have three legislative hearings, a bunch of court hearings, some new lawsuits. Wisconsin gets going. Georgia gets heated up. Uh, next week, we'll know what the chessboard looks like. Uh, but again, I think it's a long haul for the president, even though I think many of the issues that the president are raising is raising are, uh, are really ripe for public scrutiny. And even if the media ignores it, uh, lawmakers, good government officials, uh, members of Congress, they've got to understand the American public just spoke in our poll today by 70 to 88 percent. They don't like some of the things that happened in this last election. We better get it right in the next election. So uh, Paul Nolan was saying to me, who does the news and my co-host sitting right next to me every day, said um, you had a poll about 
I believe it was you or somebody had a poll recently that said if 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 15 or to 20 percent of the voters who voted for Biden knew all of the issues that were kind of suppressed from social media to them, they may not have voted for him. Was that your poll or was that someone else's poll? It was. Yeah. So we had so it was sort of a measuring uh, thing. First off, the most amazing thing is despite the entire blackout from Twitter and Facebook that went on by Hunter Biden, I believe it was 77 percent of Americans had some familiarity uh, with um, uh, the Hunter Biden allegations, which means that the traditional news media and the social media kingpins can't repress uh, an important story like this. There are these new outlets like Real America's Voice, like Just the News, like Parler and, and Cloud Hub that are, can get these stories out, and they are penetrating even when there's a suffocating attempt to silence them. If people heard about it, those who heard about it, more than a majority of them, 50% of those who knew about it, believe that uh, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden did something wrong, engaged in a conflict of interest. So once you learn about it, the majority of Americans think it's wrong. And what's amazing is more and more people were learning about it, despite the extraordinary effort of Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and, and the mainstream media to suffocate that story. I think that's a remarkable dynamic. I think everyone who's totally worried about the oligarchies and that we should be worried about these techno, uh, tech oligarchies that we're creating, uh, the new competitions that are coming in are creating a new way to inform the American public, whether it's uh, you know, new television networks like Real America's Voice, new news site like Just the News. You know, this, week, this month we'll have 20 million readers at Just the News. That's a pretty significant audience. And, and I think that uh, the ability for us to communicate around the roadblocks exists. Uh, I, I heard you guys talking during the break, you know, parlors coming up, it's growing, rumbles coming up and growing. They're in infant stages, they gotta grow. Here's another one to keep an eye on. There's a place called Clout Hub that sort of combines everything. I've become an ambassador, a big fan of that. I'm gonna start working on that in the next week and building a following there, but it kind of takes the best of YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and kind of meshes it all together in one nice dashboard and suite. I think there's innovation and competition uh, coming on that is going to scare the living dickens out of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube next year. Yes, they're gonna suppress more and more, and the equal and opposite reaction may just erode some of the uh, monopolies that, that they've enjoyed over the last um, a decade. I think that 2021 is a scary year for censorship, but it's also perhaps the largest opportunity year for people to fight for free speech and to create new platforms that go around these roadblocks that, that the uh, liberal social oligarchs of Silicon Valley are creating for the American public, at least 50% of the American public. Yeah. So I got about a minute and a half left. So I guess just in closing, where do the viewers of this show, what what should we all be looking for here in the next week to two weeks? What state, I mean, is Pennsylvania the whole ball game? Is Obviously, we'll pay attention to what goes on in Georgia tomorrow, if she files, what goes on with that. Where, what else should we be looking at? What the Amistad Project's doing? Where should we be looking? Yeah, uh, to be really uh, imprecise, all of the above are good, but let's look at Pennsylvania tomorrow. For the first time, a legislature is going to hold a hearing and give the president's team an opportunity to make its case to the lawmakers who set the rules for the election. If they come out and say, great presentation, but we're not doing anything, I think the president goes further back in his, his effort. If the Pennsylvania legislature says, oh my God, we had no idea, and we got to dig into this, and we're worried that the electors uh, may not be representing the will of the people, then you'll see the first crack in favor of the president. The second thing is to watch the Georgia lawsuit with... Um, 
uh, Sidney Powell tomorrow and see how much Linwood and Sidney Powell, separate of the Trump campaign, can push the arguments here, because that's a state with one of the smaller margins. Yeah. And then the third thing to watch would be Wisconsin and the Amistad Project. Boy, if the media even got a hint that the state legislatures were actually going to do the constant, of course, constitutionally, oh, yeah. they, they they have plenary power. The explosion in the media would be uh, something to uh, behold. So uh, we always appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks, David. John Solomon here, live from Studio 6B on a Tuesday night. A lot more to do. We're back right after this. All right, live from Studio 6B, 30 minutes past the hour on a Tuesday night, Real America's Voice. Just had two segments with uh, the great John Solomon from Just the News. A lot of interesting stuff going on. And um, I'll just say again, I said to him, but I mean, I, I just don't understand. The Republican Party, when you look at what I said to him, 31 states, I believe it is, to where the Republicans hold the state legislature. 24 of them where they hold both houses and the governor. They hold the trifecta. And about eight, 17 or 18 of them, they have like a super majority in the House or in the Senate or in both. And yet, here we are fighting like the Dickens over something that the state legislatures are in charge of. And it's just like, you might as well have 31 New Yorks. They might as well all be New York. Because you can't tell the difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. You can't tell the difference between the blue states and the red states. If you hold the damn state legislatures, how are you in this position? That, that, that's what I don't understand. How are we even in this position? They get a, the, the, the Democrats come in, they go get a decree consent in Georgia. They go to the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania. They go to these election officials. They go to these... I mean, they go everywhere but where they're supposed to go. We hold these state legislatures in 31, and, and, and this is the position we're in. Well, and it was explained to me by somebody who knows a bunch of politicians and been working with them for years. A lot of these guys, you know, whether it's an R or D next to their name, they're friends. They are friends. They have deep ties. They went to, to schools together. They, they, they've been to things together. They, they've grown up in the system together. They're buddies. Sure, that one represents one side, one represents the other, but you know, like it's explained, they're two wings of the same bird. They they know each other. They're friends. They know families. They go to parties together. The hey, I need a I need a favor over here. You got it. Just next time you hook me up with something like that. That's how these guys rise, and they rise up through the state level where they they get all greasy, and and then they they depending on how much uh, ambition they have, they'll graduate, you know, and, and go to the uh, to D.C. and you, do the same shtick there. You mean depending on how narcissistic they are? Yeah. How desperate they want to rule other people and scam their way to the top and make a lot of money. Okay, I got you. Yeah, exactly. But my point being, um, you know, we, we're voting for these people in all these states. You know, it's, it's like in New York. Do you see, you hear the parents in New York City? There's the schools closing, screaming, how upset they are. Well, I don't, I don't want to hear what did you liberal. vote for? Exactly. I don't, I don't want to hear one liberal cry about taxes, lockdowns, mandatory vaccines. I, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. You see the report out today in Virginia about the kids' grades? 
in the percentage of kids that are failing now? It's up like 80%. And all the parents are, well, you have a governor like in New York and in Pennsylvania and in Virginia and in Michigan and in California and in Illinois that think 99.96% that they think they're running their mob family with the police, like the video I showed these guys yesterday after the show. This is what you voted for. This is what you voted for in New York City. You don't know how inept the mayor is in New York City. You didn't know how inept he was when it was time to reelect the mayor. He won overwhelmingly. So if you voted for this, how do you complain and bitch and complain now that he closed all the schools? I mean, it's, it's just, I don't understand it. And I don't understand in these red states, supposed red states, they vote for these people, they hold these majorities, and they don't do anything. And they're going to argue about how important the GOP runoff is in Georgia. Well, guess what? If you leave the system in place that you allowed them to put in for November 3rd, it doesn't matter how important it is. You're not going to win it. So why are you arguing about, you're, you're having the wrong argument. Why are you arguing about how important the race, the, the, the race is, yeah, the they're, runoff is? They're, they're doing the exact same thing, but they're going to get a different result this time, Damon. You watch. You're not going to get a different result. It's the same damn system. You've got mail, like, like <laughs> said, you got mail-in ballots flying out like... Hotcakes, they say. Hotcakes. <laughs> I've heard hotcakes. Houston, we've found more <laughs> ballots. And they're pristine. Never been folded. Awesome. Good. Run them right and, through. And they were on the dark side of the moon. It's, it's, it's really, it's just, uh, I mean, I know Paul gets crazy when I say these things, but, but it's really, it's just unbelievable. It's unbelievable that they could have seen what was going on and called a special session of the state legislature, and they could have set the rules. And they could have said, no, you got to mail it. No mail-in ballots. You have to vote in person. Yeah. They could but, have done that. Yeah, but you know what? Now you're being mean, and we're going we're gonna to tell everybody you're mean, and, and that's being racist, and that's going to go in the newspaper. It's going to be a headline that you're racist, and now your career's over. So you can't be mean like that. Yeah, right. You want to suppress votes because right. because our voters are weak and frail. Right. And you can't demand. You them. can't demand voter, voter suppression. ID. Voter people- ID. What what kind of racist is that? Are you saying that 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 people of color or, or different heritage they can't that they have to go and get an identification card? You are you saying they're smart enough to do that? Because according to the other side, the Democrats, they're all saying that voter ID is racist. Obviously, because, well, because of the color of their skin or, or, or some other thing, um, they're not smart enough to figure it out. Yeah, it's such What's a... What's racist there? Well, again, it doesn't even matter. Right Voter it. ID, it. whether it's the law in the state or not in the law of the state, how about we just follow whatever the state legislature said is the rules? Could we just do that? Apparently not. Apparently not. And apparently in Georgia, they still don't want to do it. And the worst part about it is, honestly, this dirty Democratic Party, they don't care about getting caught. They don't care because they know the media is going to cover up from and if what it doesn't cover up, they don't care. And half the, you know, half the lemmings on the other side are like, I don't care. We have a fixed election as long as orange man out. Yeah. 
They don't care because because they won. And they have no idea how how short sighted and stupid they are. Ends justify the means, Damon. Bottom up, top down, communism in a country. Bottom up, top down. They got it. All right. So there's a well. I'll tell you what. The, the, we'll see tomorrow. The Pennsylvania State Legislature is going to hear the case. Is what John said there, right? Didn't he say tomorrow's Pennsylvania? Yep. Yep. So we'll see. Let, let's see tomorrow if the Republican state legislature listens to whatever they present. Now, of course, they, they got to be able to present it, you know, in a way that everybody can understand it. it. It can't seem like an illogical, not thought through mess. And I think I'm right, by the way. Someone can look it up about the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. I believe today they did smack down that. Um, I believe they did give him the hearing or they, whatever they said they would do. And they looked at it and said, uh, yeah, no. No, the lower court was right. This is a big, fat mess. So I'll look that up during the break or while Paul's doing the news, but I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. But let's see what they present tomorrow. And let's see. Did the Republicans come out of there going, just what John said, he said it perfectly. Hey, uh, yeah, nice uh, presentation. We'll uh, see you on down the road. Or do they grow a set? If it's presented in a way that makes sense and say, well, wait a minute now here, this, ne- this, isn't, this, this can't be, we'll see, we'll see. Because again, like we always say, right, someone's got to be first to market to do it, to set the other, the other ones to go, well, they did it, so maybe we could, uh, I mean. Yeah. So we'll see what happens in Pennsylvania tomorrow. So, all right, I got lots to get to here. Uh, Daniel Horowitz has a great article about covid and some of this overreach by the governors, what's going on. You know, he said something that I, I was brilliantly thought through. He said, you think about the election fraud. He said the governing fraud that's going on right now is so much worse than any election fraud we could have ever had. He said, think about this. If someone, had came, if someone came out, I'm trying to paraphrase what he said, but he said, if someone came out and said, hey, um, you know what? We did cheat in the state. We stuffed the ballot boxes. We used fake this. We used fake that because this guy Trump is too much of a danger to the country. And we just felt we couldn't take a chance. And uh, we cheated, we cheated, we cheated. What, what would we all say? He says that's exactly what they're doing right now in governing through COVID with all of you. They're telling you, you've got to do this and you've got to wear that and you can't do this. And this is what I'm telling you. And no one's saying anything. And no one's pushing back in all these states. There's almost no pushback. Governor Hogan in Maryland, you have no constitutional right to not walk around with a mask on. It's just like uh, driving drunk, he says. Or not wearing a seatbelt. <laughs> as, if, as if everybody, who, if you have one case of driving drunk, as if everybody has to get off the road. Until, until what, you can prove that, I mean... I don't even know what he's talking about. Well, just was, until drunk driving is, uh, is taken care of with a vaccine, Damon. Right, but his point being, if they'd come out and said <laughs> this about election fraud, you wouldn't, no one would sit back and say nothing, but yet they're doing this exact thing with how they're governing through COVID and no one says anything. Well, because, because the media, the media is on board. They're cheerleading them on. If you don't have the media calling to account, you know, they're supposed to be the watchers. And what they're doing right now, they've been absorbed. They're part of the machine now. 
So now what their, their job used to be, hey, keeping, keeping us abreast of what these criminals are up to so we can kind of keep them in line, vote them out if we don't like them, that kind of thing. They don't do that anymore. They're part oh. of the party. They were, supposed to be the, they were supposed to be the watchdog for the people. Right. And the fact now that they the let all dog. these companies collude and, and align themselves with these giant mega corporations, borderless, you know, corporations can own so much of the media and people just let it happen. It's uh, this is again, I mean, you know, I'm sick of the term deep state and all that, but it's it's again, it's always been Wall Street versus Main Street. Yeah. And then you've and got you've for- got a uh, government official married to to media yeah. person who goes to work for the Obama administration, now goes to work for Twitter, now comes back. There's so much cross pollination. They all know each other. They're yeah, not going to give each other up. They're going to protect each other. You know, that's the bastardization right there. Yeah. They've created a hybrid. Like the fascists and the communists have been interbreeding so long they created some kind of demon child that was birthed on this uh, impossible to overcome, you know, you know, media system and money system and international bankers tied to pharmaceuticals. It's crazy. They're the you know, morgue. The, the first story I was going to do today was the uh, side effects from COVID-19 vaccine won't be a walk in the park, doctors warn. This was the first story I was going to do today. Doctors are suggesting that the CDC warn the public that the new coronavirus vaccines, which are expected to be approved by the FDA in the next few weeks, will have unpleasant effects on patients. Pfizer, Moderna, and each have acknowledged that vaccines could produce side effects similar to the virus itself, with a possible muscle pains, chills, and headaches. Uh, in a Monday uh, meeting at the Center for C- Disease Control and Prevention Advisors, doctors said that health officials and drug makers need to warn people about the rough side effects and they're, so they're prepared and not scared from getting a second dose. Both, I, mean, this, I mean, this is crazy what we're talking about here. And we're not even talking about the mRNA, DNA-altering vaccines, which is crazy. Everyone needs to look this up. Before you take that, you have to do your homework on that. All right, live from Studio 6B. We'll do some sports, lots to do still. Hour two, we'll get into some of um, COVID-19, and we'll take a look at some of the early picks that Joe Biden's looking at as he plays pretend president-elect. We'll do that. Till the hour on a Tuesday night. Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. Paul Nolan's here. Rick Delgado's here. Rick Emirati's here. Decked out in pink. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Did you say let's go? <laughs> let's go. What does that mean? I don't know. He's does that mean he to wants go. to uh, dirty dance? Ready to do sports. I'm ready to go. Dude, oh, he's got a Prince jacket. All right. On. Well, relax. We'll get to you there in your pink outfit. I mean, <laughs> you know, we got plenty of time to do sports. Let's just right. Don't worry about it here. Pink delicious. All right. Let's do sports. Here. <laughs> <laughs> and here with that is Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? All right, Big D. Well, I normally don't lead with baseball. But we have to tonight because we got a big champion down in Korea early oh. this morning. The NC oh. Dinos, Paul, defeated the Doosum Bears 4-2 oh. in Game 6 of the Korean Series to win the their 
the first uh, organizational uh, KBO championship. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh. And there's the photo of the actual statue that was made for them uh, by NC like Soft, the company that owns the NC Dinos. They're a video uh, software company, and that comes from the video game Lineage. Look at that trophy. It's a gigantic yeah. sword. <laughs> and a side note that the guy who won the MVP went on to kill all of his teammates with it. Can you put the two shot up, please? Uh, Dang. Look at do you, uh, would 100, you, 200, Would you take 300. a third-party post-dated out-of-state check? <laughs> no. 500. No mail-in by right, back, no mail right, ballots right. accepted. Paul, uh, Lewis uh, Corona was already on to it. He says, Big D wins five bills. Pay up, Paul. Lewis was all over it hours ago. Send the nickel over, my friend. Yeah. Wow. Send the nickel over right here. Let me see here. All right. Wow. Oh, nice. Launch. <laughs> Wait a minute. What am I, a Democrat? What? <laughs> I, had, I had to take my piece. This is, a, this is a redistribution of wealth. There's only 420 here. <laughs> I took my 10%. <laughs> I got to get my feet wet, right? I'm, yeah. I got, got his 10% big. 50. I don't well, know if you I, can do I, math, Well, you pal. put it in with me. I, yeah, Paul's the house. It's a straight-up bet. You put, it right. in with, you put it in with me. I put 550 to win 500. <laughs> nice. I don't remember hearing that. This is unbelievable. <laughs> All right, what else is going on? All right, on? well, wait a minute. Now, you know, so, hey, wait, I want to say NC Dinos, Korean baseball, that's where I cut my teeth on this show. That was the only live scores that I could report back in March and April. So they're definitely my soul mates. So it was, they were great. Oh, jeez. All right. I heard what you just did. We're, Monday we're, night we're football. Going down memory lane here. Soul. Yes. Wonderful. You get it? Mo- soul. Monday night football, guys. Big game and big D. Richard Cobb is calling us out. He's the Rams fan that said to us, the Rams are going to beat the Bucs, and Richard was right. L.A. Rams over the Bucs, 27-24. Jared Goff, the line on him, 39-51, of 51, 376 yards, and three big two TDs. And I mean, Cooper it, Cup had a big you, night, too. If you had told me Tom Brady would throw like Tom Arnold, I may maybe not have said that they were going to win the game. I mean, Jesus, what's Brady doing in prime time? He can't throw the ball. They are a different team with Ali Marpet on that offensive line. When he's out, the pressure rate is double. So when Ali Marpet comes back, there'll be value. Yeah. I mean, Tom Brady, when he has pressure on him, throws the ball like, well, I would if I was the quarterback. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Dude, so I don't know. Yeah. He, made a, he made a beautiful pass at the end of the game there, right to the other guy. Oh, and the other man, team. that was a gift. Perfect. 26 of 48 for Brady, to only 216 yards and two big picks really cost them. That last drive going down the field, they couldn't get it done. And I got to tell you, the optics on Brady weren't good. He didn't go to midfield to shake Jared Goff's hand. And second time he's done this, Nick Foles told Jared Goff, I feel you, brother. I know I've been there before. He actually tweeted that out. So, you know, uh, Brady, a little bit of a sore loser. Brady looks like a whiny, sore loser. Exactly. Yeah. That's what he looks like. People are not happy with him. So not too good. And but he big was afraid the of I heard. What's that? Wasn't he afraid of COVID? Isn't that the excuse? Oh, yeah. That's always the, yeah, uh, right. that's always the bail out there. Uh, but uh, last Wednesday night's NBA draft uh, averaged 2.13 million viewers across PN, down 31% from last year's 3 million. And 2018 was just over 3 million as well. Smallest audience for the event since at least 2007. So uh, basketball, no surprise there. NBA draft, very, very poor ratings. And that's from our friends in Sports Media Watch that gives us all the ratings on that. And uh, Yahoo Sports reporting Peyton Manning and Charles Woodson among Hall of Fame semifinalists. Manning and Woodson took another step toward immortality as they were named among the 25 modern era players who are Pro Football Hall of Fame semifinalists for 2021. 
2021. Manning, a two-time Super Bowl champion and five-time MVP winner in his 18-year career, is a, is a, a cinch to make the next round. Both has got to be a cinch. Both locks, yeah, they're locks. Cinch. They're both legends at their, their position. So, uh, and uh, I'm going to have some Major League Soccer playoffs in the next round, Big D, but that's a wrap in sports for this segment. All right, very good. Uh, thanks, Rick. Paul, any um, any news? Let's do some news if you have any. I got a couple sports-related stories. NBA players meet with Pope Francis at the Vatican to discuss social justice issues. Uh, several NBA players uh, and officials, uh, they met privately with Pope Francis at the Vatican on Monday. Uh, players were Kyle Korver, Sterling Brown, Anthony Tolliver, Marco Belli. Uh, Bellinelli, uh, Jonathan Isaac attended the meeting uh, with the leader of the Catholic Church. They were joined by uh, Michelle Roberts of the National uh, Basketball Players Association, and they extended the invitation to learn more about uh, some of the recent efforts of the NBA Mm -hmm. and their affiliation with the CCP and the internment can't no they didn't they didn't talk about that you know uh you bring that up it got me thinking you know that may be since the draft hasn't worked coaching changes haven't worked maybe the knicks need to just go meet the pope and hopefully pray (laughs) that maybe they can figure out how to win a game maybe that's what they need to do they they need more than that say a few hail murrays (laughs) yeah Absolutely. And other sports and, you know, sports news, but news, uh, the NFL has expanded its mandate for the usage of masks on the sideline during games, threatening discipline for those who flout the league's updated coronavirus safety guidelines. Beginning Thursdays, players who are not preparing to enter the field and are not wearing their helmets must wear masks on the sideline. Sideline play calls must also now wear masks, even if they're wearing face shields. Mm. Um, Because we do know that uh, most athletes in the prime of their life with 7% body fat die instantly from COVID. Sometimes they just spontaneously combust. Very very unhealthy. So as I was telling you uh, about Virginia, there's a story out today that a new study conducted by Virginia's largest school system found that distance learning due to this COVID-19 pandemic is severely damaging academic achievement. In comparison to last academic year, the percentage of middle school and high school students enrolled in Fairfax County, Virginia public schools who received a mark of an F in two or more classes during the first quarter of this academic year rose 6% to 11%, the district's Office of Research and Strategic Improvement found. The numbers represent year-over-year increase of 83%. Younger students were much more seriously affected than older ones as middle schoolers exhibited a 300% increase in marks of an F, while high schoolers exhibited a 50% increase. The study also found that some of the most vulnerable students, those with disabilities and English language learners, were the ones who have been struggling the most. The number of students with disabilities who scored marks of F in two or more classes shot up by 111% to account for nearly one-fifth of those students, while the number of English language learners who scored marks of F increased by 106% to account for 35% of those students. While students in certain demographics exhibited more pronounced increases than others, the study found that, quote, the pattern was pervasive across all student groups, all grade levels, and all content areas examined in this report. In the summary of findings, district researchers acknowledge that there is a reason for concern 
especially considering that students who were previously not performing well were the ones who were having the hardest time. And this study comes on the heels of the CDC Redfield director in the press briefing room last week saying, and I quote, that there is no reason to be closing down the schools. It is still probably the safest place for these kids to be. Yet in New York City, all the schools are closed. On Long Island, schools are starting to close. They're starting to do this yellow, red zone. Once you get to a certain amount, then all of a sudden they want to test a certain percentage of the population uh, every day or every week or every month, whatever the hell it is coming from the stupid governor. It is insane that we have been screamed at for months to follow the damn science, and they are in no way following the science here. At all. They're not even listening to what the CDC director says. His own words. There's no reason to be doing this. And yet, here we are. Because it's not about the kids. from studio 6b hour two on a tuesday night glad you're in good first hour if you missed john solomon we'll put it up on our social media at lfs6b on facebook at lfs6b on twitter on parlor as well hey g remind me that i got to make a new graphic someone said you know you don't have parlor on your social media graphic so i got to do a new graphic or hey damon you got to make a new graphic yeah I'll, uh, well no you need to remind i'm old stupid so you need to remind me when we're not on the show <laughs> so i can remember to make one or more importantly maybe you just make one g since you'll do a better job of it anyways than i will so that sounds more likely okay very good <laughs> um so good uh we got a lot to do here an hour two um i got some videos i didn't get to yesterday morning joe telling us republicans are uh well they're killing people don't you know we'll get to that uh, Joe Biden was out there again playing president-elect, um, talking about um, people he's looking at for some of these positions, which is a, um, an old retread so far of Bush people, Obama people. And as Marco Rubio said, uh, they're all uh, very nice people who will very cogently um, be there to watch the decline of America. Joe Biden's Ivy League cabinet will be polite and orderly caretakers of America's decline, he says. So um, I guess yeah. Ru- wow. Rubio's back in the game maybe here. I'm Rubio. not sure. Yeah, well. What a disappointment. Disappointment. Um, oh, dude, he's more than a disappointment. He's- well, there's a bunch of them. Put them all no on the bus. Uh, all right. Right now, though, it's time for one of my favorite segments here on the show, because hopefully we all get to laugh, which is something we don't do too much in these times on this show. And that is what even is that with Rick Delgado? All right. Well, I'm sorry. I'm probably going to disappoint you on this one, Damon. Uh, <laughs> I, I really did. I had a couple others already pre-written, about two other scripts uh, for what even is that for today. One having to do with, of course, Black Friday, which is quickly 
coming upon us. And the other one had to do with with the wedding. Did you hear about the wedding in New York City that had 7,000 guests? Talk about a lot of uh, chicken cordon bleu. Uh, How awesome was it that they pulled it off and that no one knew about it? They were good. They spent a... And let me tell you, they were good. I spent a decent amount of time. I wrote them. I was was trying to find pictures and clips like I always do to try to make a point. And like Damon said, you know, he likes them when when he gets to laugh. Uh, But then... Then I saw this. <laughs> really? Are you freaking kidding me? Ugh. What even uh. is that? You know what? I'll tell you what that is. That is New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. And I know I just talked about him last week, but look what he's doing. Basically, he's the biggest. And I can't even say the word, but it's a noun and it's a conjunction that describes a special place in the body that expels waste. <laughs> Oh, and it rhymes with mask hole. Is that um, real? Yes. I mean, just listen to this dolt as he introduces it today at a press conference. We have a special mask. Don't be a turkey this Thanksgiving. Oh. Wear a mask. Don't be a turkey. Oh. How good looking is this mask, right? Oh, yeah. You ready? Yeah, that's great. That's, an improvement. that's a great mask, but it would be perfect if it covered the rest of your face and you couldn't breathe. <laughs> that's yeah, what, yeah. Look no, at that. Right. No, that's good. How beautiful <laughs> is that? Tell the truth. Get his feet wet. <laughs> and listen, listen. Listen to the rest of those dolts in the deep state media just clapping along like seals begging for another fish. Oh, you're wonderful, Governor. Seriously, what a pile of pathetic losers. Meanwhile, this is the same jackknob who had the audacity to write a book. <laughs> yeah. A book. Yeah. About what? Well, it's about the terrible job he did. Uh, but since he's a liberal panty-waist Democrat, they've kind of allowed him to rewrite the actual history and pass it off as rain when he's really leaking down our leg. Okay? And that's actually a perfect picture of the book cover, as you can see there. Because you can see what he used, his hands, the way he put them, the way he stuck it to the sick and elderly population in nursing homes. Yeah, he gave it to them real good. Real good. Nothing to see here. Just move along, everybody. But then, to cap it off on this bizarro trip through this pile of steaming Cuomo, they gave this guy, guess this, an Emmy. For what? I assume Cuomo's Emmy is for his starring role as Dr. Death in the fatal nursing home horror show, said U.S. Rep. Elise Stefanik, a Republican from upstate in New York. And guess what? She's right. He's basically getting an Emmy for doing his job. Terribly. Unless his job, of course, in the description, includes killing old people. Then guess what? He was the best. That's right, Mr. Miyagi, the best around. And although I know this sounds all angry and hateful, and believe me, you're not wrong because it is, um, let's not let this get in the way of us and, and how thankful we should be as we head into this Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Be thankful for all that you have all that you'll be celebrating this holiday season and it officially gets underway. Be thankful for your family, your friends, and all the people you love having in your life. And especially, be thankful that Andrew Cuomo is not a member of your family. Yeah. All right. Oh, good job, dude. And Rick, that's is the Jack first... Nob a QAnon term? Yeah. <laughs> and that's actually the first Spanish uh, words I taught the kids. Pizza chip. <laughs> okay. Um... Rick Delgado with what even is that? It tr- I mean, it's really unbelievable. I mean, I see poor Janice Dean who lost both her, her, her I believe both of her in-laws 
And um, here's the governor writing a book and getting an Emmy. Yeah. I, I mean, it's... it's uh... and, and and now he's he's trying to chase down... I think from what I understand, they found out um, or they, they instituted a fine against those people that had the, uh, the wedding. $15, I got to tell you, man, everybody must resist. Yeah, just, just disregard. Yeah, you, and, you don't. What he said about the cops... I don't consider them cops. I consider I consider them. What do you say? Yeah, that's a dictator. That would Dictators. be called projecting. Really, the cop who's following the constitutional law that he up, swore to uphold is the dictator. But you're the one with the jackboot thug attitude. Oh, by the way, you had to rename the Tappan Zee Bridge after your father. You egomaniacal lunatic! He should have stopped. I know he didn't do it, but because they all think that they actually have this power. That's that's why they all actually think that some with somewhere they're grabbing this power from. I mean, think about what Hogan said yesterday about that. That, that I, I mean, I just wish there was a way we can impeach them all. There is. It, it just it's it's just a process we have to go through, and there's just not enough people. Just don't uh, like. Uh, they, they they think well, maybe it doesn't affect me all that much. That's eh, all right. I, I'll deal with that. And that's, that's what they're banking on, that complacency. Well, speaking of all this, uh, governors and obviously COVID, Daniel Horowitz has a piece in Conservative Review, a severely symptomatic lie about asymptomatic spread. We have been told that every human being must be treated as a leper. The American people were very patient in March as novel and irrational theories uh, were posted regarding the uniqueness of SARS CoV 2, even to the extent that those theories forced a dramatic change in everyone's lifestyle. He says, however, eight months later, these same draconian policies are still in place after the theories that were undergirding those policies have clearly been proven to be false. Nowhere else is this more evident than the theory about mass asymptomatic spread. We have been told that every human being must be treated as a leper, a liability that must be shunned, isolated, and distanced in perpetuity. This, this mentality has affected every aspect of our lives. Why have we never done this in all of our history, which has included viruses with much higher fatality rates? It was all supposedly because of the novel idea that most people spread this particular virus without showing symptoms. So we are all suspect for carrying and spreading the virus at any given time. That theory was always extremely speculative and unfounded. But a new study shows that eight months later, it is simply not true. Beginning in May, the Chinese government conducted the largest mass testing for COVID-19 of anywhere on the globe. Out of 10 million people tested in Wuhan, just 300 were positive and were all asymptomatic. None of them spread it to their contacts. That is zero out of 1,174 contacts. Zero spread it. According to the study published in Nature Communications, which is a huge journal, none of those who tested positive produced live virus in the cultures. None of them. This explains very easily why none of them seem to infect others. We can dismiss this at our own peril, simply because the study came from China. But let's not forget that the Chinese stand to benefit from the rest of the world panicking over asymptomatic spread 
and purchasing more personal protection equipment, a market dominated by Chinese companies. Moreover, this study harmonizes with other research and the prevailing common sense for decades. Dr. Fauci himself, before this became political and a tool for control, stated very emphatically that, quote, the driver of outbreaks is always a symptomatic person, end quote. Even if there is some asymptomatic transmission in all the history of respiratory viruses of any type, asymptomatic transmission has never been the driver of outbreaks, said Fauci in a January 28th press conference. That was when he was, by the way, also telling us that we shouldn't be wearing masks. He says, you know, you see how they do it over in uh, uh, South Korea and China and some of these... uh, You know, we don't need to be doing that here. Remember that. The World Health Organization said in May that asymptomatic spread was very rare. Then, like any time a major scientific figure reveals the truth, the WHO suddenly recanted that position when the media raised a howl. A U.S.-based study from University of Florida, Gainesville, Department of Biostatistics, observed similar low rates of transmission among the asymptomatic. Researchers found symptomatic individuals transmitted the virus at 28 times higher than asymptomatic individuals. Another Chinese study from May found very weak transmission capability, uh, capability among asymptomatic infections. We also know that as many as 50% of flu cases every year are asymptomatic, yet we never panic or assume that they are drivers of community spread. Thus putting together all of the information we now observed from this virus paired against all the history of respiratory viruses of any type, why are we still pushing illegal, illogical, and immoral lockdown policies all based on a premise of mass asymptomatic spread that is rooted in zero evidence? This study also lays waste to the entire premise of mass testing using high levels of amplification known as cycle thresholds. What this study shows is that testing asymptomatic people with high cycle thresholds usually means that they merely have traces of virus in them that are scientifically insignificant. In September, a study on the cycle threshold funded by the French government was published and found that the accuracy of PCR tests using 35 cycles of viral RNA amplification is around 3%. You know what that means? 97% of those people testing positive are likely false. As the New York Times reported in August, most labs in the U.S. use 40 cycle thresholds. Thus, there are very few people who are actually contagious, and most of them have very evident symptoms. The notion that perfectly healthy people can get, can't get together for Thanksgiving is absolutely insane. We have a special mask. Don't be a turkey this Thanksgiving. Wear a mask. Don't be a turkey. Studio 6B on a Tuesday night, Real America's Voice. Glad you're in. So I, I forgot to bring this up to John Solomon, but would you, you know, there's there's kind of the constitutional issues. There's the Sidney Powell kind of um, 
almost I'd call it criminal issues that she's looking at. And of course, Alan Dershowitz, I thought put it pretty well where, you know, they either need big numbers and for that it's kind of in the Sidney Powell bucket and there they need evidence. Right. Or in the constitutional bucket, they don't need evidence, but they need a judge to be willing to say that I'll take the case. And so far they've pretty much struck out. And whatever they whatever the reason that is, whether it's ineptitude on the part of the I don't think it is. Or whatever the reason, or if it's just the judges they're getting, Obama judges, or what, you know, the judge of Pennsylvania, though, I mean, people will point to him and say, well, he's a Trump judge. He's a member of the Federalist Society. Well, I mean, what is that? That doesn't mean anything. I mean, I could be a member of the Federalist Society, and I guess if I paid my dues or something, I mean, right. So I'm not really sure what that means, but, um, but so then there's this third kind of bucket where it's like this doesn't pass the smell test for just normal people that just doesn't pass the eye test and one of them is that you look at this the president 11 million more votes in 2020 than he got in 2016 that's the second largest increase in votes for an incumbent president ever he also increased his support obviously from blacks latinos asian voters yet we're supposed to believe that he lost. It's like the rejection rates in, uh, we were talking about in Georgia, right? The right. rejection rates of all these. Ba- yeah. Usually I mean, on first time, which was, you know, they, they were flooded with first time, you know, mail-in ballots. Usually the rejection rate, because people don't really, you know, sometimes they, they, they don't mark it correctly. It doesn't get done correctly. What have you is around 3%. Somehow they managed to nearly all be perfect at like 03 so that one, like you said, doesn't pass the smell test. No incumbent president in history, I believe, has increased their vote by 11 million and lost or increased their vote to that extent and lost. And um, again, this is what is so infuriating about Georgia and these Republicans and this Republican Party that they hold these state legislatures in 31 states and it doesn't seem to make a damn bit of difference a lot of the time and they're not doing anything now and if you can't make the case and the state legislature doesn't step in here and hasn't in georgia they haven't had a special session the governor's mia you've got the democrats on the move stacy abram on the move you've got mail-in ballots going out and it's just like they just figured, well, we'll just do this. It worked so well on November 3rd. Let's just do it again. Yeah, they're just sitting there uh, watching it all happen to them again. What is the point of holding? I mean, this is why you hear some very smart people, con- real conservatives, not just Republicans, because there's becoming more and more of a difference between, by the way, of Republican and conservatives, saying that we just need a whole new party. Because the Republican Party that we know of today, it, it, the Chris Christie's, of, uh, it's just, you just, especially with this, if yeah. you don't get to the bottom of this and you don't get these state legislatures to acknowledge and you can't make the legal argument to the Supreme Court in some co- coherent way for them to take a look at how, what a disaster this mail-in voting was and be able to make the case, if this is the new precedent, I mean, I argued this yesterday. You, you guys told me that they're, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you guys told me. That the Republicans <laughs> think it's going to be great too. 
I, I, you're never going to win another election anywhere. You're never going to win another election. You're never going to win the presidency ever again, well, ever. Well, yeah, that, that was something I think we were trying to come across uh, yesterday when we talked about it was, oh, no, they'll, they'll let them win a few, few things here and there, but they'll take the power. They'll, they'll incrementally just whittle it down to, to where it doesn't matter. It's like, well, you're a, you're a party, but you might as well be the Green Party at that point because you're really, you're really not doing anything. You're taking up space while the Democrats make all the decisions. And, you know, going back to other things that don't pass the smell test, um, the question, which still hasn't been answered, and I don't even know if the right people are asking it, who ordered all those states to stop counting at the same time on election night? Where did that come from and why did they do it? Nobody's, nobody's even venturing down that road, I think, because they don't want to hear the answer. And like I pointed out last night... Well, that's uh, a question for Sidney Powell, by the way. She's the only one, I think, she's the only one. And, and again, this is maybe the difference why they separated the... Uh, that came out with that statement. She's working on uh, the two different paths that right. they wanted to go on. Because she's really the only one who can answer that. If that's even something they've looked into. Why did, who, who makes that call? Was it the same person? What, does anyone from the DNC have anything to do with it? Was it made from the Secretary of State? Was it made from the, the Board of Elections? Who makes the call? Have they been deposed? Has anyone interviewed them? Right. And I, as I said a couple of nights ago, if Rudy Giuliani is going to say there's just mass orchestrated fraud, then you, could, you would think that there has to be some kind of mass similarities or a trail somewhere in such a huge mass orchestrated fraud if there is such a thing across the country there's got to be some trail these are not uh the perfect no criminals perfect right nobody and, and, pulls off something this big perfectly there's got to be some similarity that runs did they all get a text message is there some kind of there's got to be something yeah exactly because and that would be the tip that would be where you start from it's like okay everybody stopped at this time why why did you states do that and who ordered it? And from there, I think you can trace it down. Also, from something I brought up last night about the counties, where Biden lost 165 more counties than Obama did in 2012. But somehow he managed to pull out 9 million more votes out of those counties. It just, it, it's, it's things like that, again, does not pass a smell test. Should not have happened. It couldn't have happened. I never looked up the Third Circuit Court of Appeals to see if I was right about that today. I need to do that. Um, but it's just, uh, it, it, this question of math is really the problem. Without Pennsylvania, he can't, he can't get home. Right. Um, we'll see what happens tomorrow in Pennsylvania. But it seems to me, it, it, is, it seems to me that the equal protection arguments are so clearly there in Pennsylvania where you had the Secretary of State saying, okay, all these blue counties, let's make sure they can cure these ballots that have mistakes. Let's not do it in the red counties. Right. Um, yeah, I, I heard somebody talk about the availability to get to a drop box in different places. I heard Levin lay out the case, as he always does, perfectly about the fact that if you can... If you get in line to vote at 801, they say nope. But yet, if you mail in the ballot, it gets there three days late, it's okay. Right. 
How is that not a clear-cut violation of equal protection? If you could get in, if you get in line at eight o'clock in three seconds, they say no, but you can mail in the ballot, no postmark, no signature, and it can get there three days late. Just on the timing alone, the three days late opposed to three seconds late in person, they say no, they turn you away. How is that not clear? How is that not two people getting treated two different ways? Yeah, and that's rampant in, in, like you said, Pennsylvania. And the curing of the ballots, only in the blue areas. You know, because they wanted to make sure, oh, geez, look, this guy voted for Trump. He's not supposed to change that. But yet they can't get they can't they can't get past this bar so far of um, dismissal to even get to a place where they can have discovery. I'm trying to look up this Third Circuit Court of Appeals today that I thought I saw. Well, it's amazing stuff. I mean, hopefully, you know what? We'll see what happens tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be an interesting day. I mean, we also heard that maybe Sidney Powell's going to be making a, 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 a filing tomorrow filing in Georgia. Tomorrow. Yes. yes. Tomorrow. All right, I'll look it up now. Let's take a break. You guys do some social media. I'll look up the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. Studio 6B on a Tuesday night. Real America's Voice, Dish Network, Channel 219, Pluto TV, Channel 240. Glad you're on social media. Glad you're here as well. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Periscope. Glad you're watching. Make sure you like, subscribe, whatever the hell else you have to do. Hit the share. notification, hit the bell. I don't know. Share, do something. Love. <laughs> share, love, share, comment. Love. Yes. So here's what I saw. So <clears throat> actually, I guess it was this, I guess Pennsylvania responded to the Trump's Third Circuit appeal, not the actual Third Circuit. So I guess I was wrong when I said to John Solomon. So here's what I saw. Pennsylvania has responded to Trump's Third Circuit Court of Appeal. Um, Summary of the argument. So this is from Pennsylvania, I guess not necessarily from the court. Uh, It is beyond time for this baseless litigation to come to an end. The district court properly exercised its discretion in denying leave to amend a second time. This is true for several independently sufficient reasons. Plaintiffs were on notice but failed to cure pleading deficiencies through their first amendment. Their proposed amendment would have reinstated claims that the appellants had abandoned for tactical reasons. Leave to amend was sought after the district court heard oral arguments on the motion to dismiss the first amended complaint and would have substantially prejudiced appellees and further amendment would have been futile and resulted in unnecessary delay of this time sensitive election matter. Accordingly, the district court did not abuse its discretion and its decision to deny leave to amend should be affirmed. Um, so this is Pennsylvania responding, and it's arguing basically that the Trump campaign made a mess of the litigation. I'm reading now from Brad Heath, who is, um, I guess, the political D.C. reporter for Reuters on crime and justice. He says it argues that Trump's campaign made a mess of the litigation, and giving it permission to file a new complaint would be futile because that one would lose too. The state says... 
that even Trump allowed to amend plaintiffs would have standing. Quote, their proposed second amend complaint is Frankenstein's monster's monster, randomly recobbled together in even a more illogical and haphazard way than the first filing. The state also says that because Trump's lawyers chose not to challenge most of Judge Braun's decision that their claims lack merit, they're now stuck with it. Uh, the state points out in a footnote that Trump's claim that Bush v. Gore means federal courts can interpret state election law is actually based on a concurring opinion joined by only three justices, so is, quote, not a correct statement of the law. I don't know about that. The state's brief is quite sober and lawyerly. Its footnotes are basically uh, affirmed. The state's brief, like the others, is pretty straightforward. It's soberly and not uh, especially dramatic, but appearances can be deceiving. This is what it looks like when your appeal gets carpet bombed. Uh, the state's brief is here, and then they so he. This is basically the state of Pennsylvania. Their brief, basically saying that this throw this out. So it wasn't the Third Circuit that had responded. So I was wrong about that. And um, I apologize to Mr. Solomon for misleading him that he missed something, which, of course, we all know he doesn't miss anything. I, on the other hand, am uh, an idiot. So, <laughs> um, so okay, so that's uh, the it, deal. So you we'll know see. what, though? It can be very confusing, all yeah. this Third Circuit this, and these guys are responding. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff flying back and forth. So it's tough to discern, you know, okay, now what does this mean? And, and in their opinion, oh, well, it would have been cobbled together like Frankenstein's mind. Well, how do you know? They didn't do a second one, did they? So how do you know that? How can you make that inference? It, it, again, you're reading, you're reading a, a reporter's, um, you know, his version of what he wants the story to be. What is the actual story? Did they, did they walk away from it going, you know what, let's leave that alone because we see a better opportunity over here. That's the one we're going to focus on. It's going to be easier. It's going to be better to prove. We don't know. We have, I guess tomorrow's going to be a big day. You know? Well, it will be interesting tomorrow what happens to see, number one, if this is televised. Um, and if not, what, the, what comes out of this presentation to the Pennsylvania State Legislature? And um, as we have been talking, when's the first time I brought up Article 2, Section 1? Probably two months, a month before the election, we ta started talking about it and all the situations that could be and how the state legislatures uh, picked a red you. We went through all of this. And now to see the state legislatures hopefully, maybe, possibly reclaiming their rightful place here. Of course, as I said to John as we are closing out that segment, the, if this, if the case is made in some way that the state legislature start to say, well, wait a minute here, maybe the will of the, maybe this is not, maybe what we're seeing is the so-called results that all these boards of canvassers are rushing to, um, to certify. And as Joe Biden plays pretend president elect, which there's no such office, um, you're not president-elect till Congress says you are, by the way, which I believe is about January 8th, 5th, something like that, um, when it's certified. So if this starts to get any kind of legs, that the state legislature even starts to lead on at all, that they may 
take a look at whether the will of the people is really represented through what we're being told is this vote. Well, I mean, they, they just, I mean, what you'll see from left-wing media will be the greatest single attack <laughs> ever waylaid against, against people. It'll be a complete and utter meltdown. Everything, everything will be, oh, well, this, uh, here you go. This, this is them stealing the election. No, no, no. It's you stealing the election. We're trying to make it so you're not stealing the election. It's always point at them and tell everybody they're doing what you're actually doing because that's what, that's what Pennsylvania is dealing with. And unless they go ahead and grab this thing by the, by the horns and say, look, we're going to peel this open and have a look. Because that's what, that, that's what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be, well, rush it through, rush it through, rush it through. Why? If everything is on the up and up, if you're a Democrat and you're thinking, oh, we got to rush this through, why? Why? If it was done on the up and up, you should be like, yeah, bring it to court. Let's, let's open it up and show you how bad you lost. What's the problem there? There is no problem there. They don't want to see it because they know it's not real. Well, the other thing they know is the more pressure they can build. Uh, again, don't think that some of these judges are not keenly oh, yeah. aware of the conversation, keenly aware that Joe Biden's playing president-elect, keenly aware that he's announcing supposed cabinet picks. That pressure builds up where they go, oh, man, do we really? I mean, this guy's got his cabinet picked yeah. down. And he's got uh, Chris Christie over there, and he's eating donuts. And uh, <laughs> I mean, do you think they're going to? I mean, that's all part of the game. That pressure is all part of the game. It makes these, you know, these judges are uh, same as we are. They just wear a black robe. But they're, they're, they go, well, maybe, I don't know. Maybe we don't want to. Do we really want to do this? Does the math really work? It's not about it, what, either, you, either this is what it is or it isn't. Right. But unfortunately, we don't have that. It's like some of these decisions on fundamental rights, right? Should be 9 nothing. It's 5-4. One guy wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. All of a sudden, uh, something that's not supposed to be a right is and something that never was supposed to be or something that's supposed to be is not. So you, it's just that's, that's where we are. That's where we are. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, you know what, the, the, the so-called weak, weak Republicans and the Democrats, they want to get into, into victory formation and just call it a game. I'm sorry, but there's, there's time on the clock. Uh, as soon as that ball is snapped, I'm jumping over that guy. I'm going to try and tackle you and put, put, that, put that ball on the ground and, and scoop it up and go score. That's the way we have to think about this. And I hope that's the way the, the Trump administration is thinking about this, that, you know what, there's still time on the clock. Um, game's not over, not by a long shot. Nope. And, and you can see it, you can see it throughout social media. And, and I saw, believe it or not, I uh, driving to work tonight. Uh, all of a sudden I, I caught something out of the corner of my eye. There was a, a large group of people on the side of the road with Trump banners and flags and, and people were honking. I'm like, what's going on here? It's amazing. You know what? This isn't over. No. And if you're, if you're thinking, yeah, there needs to be another party. He's created one. And, it, and it's cobbled together with Republicans, Democrats, and everybody in between that's like, you know what, these, these people suck. Yeah, we got, you know, we hearing, John, go different hear, way. hearing John Solomon tonight, Big D, in the beginning, that kind of renewed my faith. I was getting a little down. I don't know, you know, gee, last couple of nights of the show, we've been really down about this. Now he's giving me renewed faith that, you know what, good old Sidney Powell just may pull something out of her hat. Well, I mean, there's no reason to be, I mean, Sidney Powell is a patriot. 
and the work she has done should at least have earned her the right to get to this first filing. Right. Now, if she never got to one, then have at it. But she should be at least allowed, given what she's done, her track record, what she did on the Flynn case when she came in and took that thing over, no one else could have gotten that to where what she's dealt with there. She's still got a rogue judge she's dealing with. But no, I mean, come on. She, she's, I mean, the attacks on her are, 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 quite frankly, disgusting. All of these attorneys, the attacks from, from other attorneys, from these people on the left, these Weissmans of the world, just attacking people on Mueller's team, just attacking former federal prosecutors, talking heads on TV, just attacking these people. As if they're okay with this. They're okay with it. If, the system, if this is what the new system is, okay, that's fine. And here's the irony, uh, the irony of all of it. The irony for John Roberts, who could have put his foot down before the election in Pennsylvania, and maybe we wouldn't be here. The irony is, if they do nothing, and we go to Georgia, and it say, happens there, and we go 0-2, oh, guess who the first persons that the Democrat Party's coming after? They're coming after the Supreme Court. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They want to change the Supreme Court forever. They're coming after you, John Roberts. That's where they're coming first. That's the irony of the whole thing. Is they're coming after your job. Your life tenure is going to all of a sudden be you and about 16 others. That's what's so amazing about this. I've actually heard people who supposedly put an R in front of their name say, well, you know, maybe they just have to, maybe they, maybe they just have to uh, win both seats and, and that's how the Republicans will learn a lesson. Learn a lesson. <laughs> learn a lesson. <laughs> learn a lesson? You're putting a lot of, I mean, you're putting a lot of hope that Joe Manchin's not lying to you, that he won't vote for some of this stuff as, the, as maybe the deciding vote for changing the country as we know it. Maybe they need to lose both to learn a lesson. I don't know many people who are willing to take that chance. Well, not only that, because it's not the Republicans that are in political office that will learn a lesson. It's the American people. Yep. We're the ones that are going to be taught a lesson that you don't go against, uh, you know, the, 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 big, the big tyranny uh, party known as the Democrats because they'll come after you. Their party will be the government. Their party will be the government. The party will rule. That's what they want. They'll have the Supreme Court get rid of the filibuster, ram everything they threw. They'll have support from the courts. The party is then the government. That's what they want. Yeah. And if Let them not- win. They should win both races to teach us a lesson. What? Studio 6B, 13 till the hour. 
Glad you're in. John Solomon joins us tonight with a lot of information still. It's a slim door, but it's not closed yet. (laughs) But it's getting slimmer, as he said, by the day. In the Pennsylvania State Legislature, tomorrow we'll see and be able to hopefully take the temperature of maybe where these state legislatures are. Are they going to have any, um, are they going to have a spine? Are they going to remember that they're the end-all, be-all in this process? That they have plenary power when it comes to how these elections are supposed to have been run? Are they going to look back and say, you know what, these, uh, the, 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 the playing field was changed and we didn't change it? And maybe what's going on here, if they present a case that's, that's coherent and understandable and clearly laid out, will they start to say, you know what, maybe the will of the people here is not what's being certified, quote unquote. We'll see. We'll see tomorrow. Like John said, if they're like, hey, nice job, Rudy, nice tie, we're out of here. Then you know. All right, let's do some sports here. 12 to the hour with uh, Rick Emirati. What's going on, pal? Okay, Big D. Well, we have some live action. We have the Audi 2020 Major League Soccer Cup playoffs. Round one action uh, tonight. Nashville upset num- uh, number two Toronto one to nothing. And New England is up 2 nothing over Philadelphia in 71 minute. And um, the uh, L.A. Football Club will play the Seattle uh, team tonight at 10.30. So we're going to keep an eye on those playoffs as we are in round one. Um, Mike Tyson, who was on uh, Joe Rogan earlier tonight. I didn't get a chance to pull the clip because it was close, too close to the show. But Mike Tyson is ready to fight Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, and Deontay Wilder for charity. Uh, Mike Tyson is ready to fight all three after his planned comeback this Saturday night, November 28th. The former world heavyweight champion is making his return to the ring at the age of 54 when he takes on 51-year-old Roy Jones Jr. The pair will take part in an eight-round bout at the Staples Center in Los Angeles on pay-per-view, Big D, for $49.99. Oh, yeah, eight yeah. rounds. Well, let, me, let me tell you this. <laughs> if it's going to be eight rounds, the last seven of them are going to look something... <laughs> They're basically going to look like you. Uh, Yeah. It looked like I would look like after one round of going with uh, Mayweather or something. But eight rounds. I mean, come on. Uh, uh, You can't make this up. He can't be this broke. Neither one of them can be. Can't be. I know. Are you ready for this, Big D? The referee for the exhibition, Ray Corona. Can't make it up. Uh, and Tim Tebow will return to the Mets in 2021, Sandy Anderson says. Uh, uh, Rick, am I supposed to know who Ray Corona is? He's just a referee. A referee. Ray Corona is a referee. I'm just finding it funny because, well, Last Corona name. right now is interesting. <laughs> oh, okay. You get it? Yeah. No, I didn't, and I yeah. still don't, but that's okay. Well, what Ray is Corona is the referee. I just thought it was funny, the last name there and the timing. Oh, gotcha. Uh, okay. Yeah. Corona. Yeah, not- Yeah, not brought to you by Corona Beer. On Monday, New York Mets President Sandy Alderson announced that he recently spoke with Tebow about returning for the 2021 season, and the former NFL quarterback agreed to another go-around with the franchise. Alderson did not make it clear if there were plans to give Tebow a spot on the Mets or if there was a plan to start him in AAA Syracuse. And I bring this up because recently we had spoken about Tim Tebow and some of the great things that he's been doing, and he's really a true patriot. And it's good to see, even at 33 years old, he's going to get another shot. With the Mets? Yeah. 
Man, he's 33 already? Oh. Yeah, I can't believe that either. And uh, last one, Big D, former Dodger manager Tommy Lasorda is improving, but he remains hospitalized. We've been keeping an eye on this. Per the Associated Press, Dodgers spokesman Steve Brennan confirmed on Tuesday the former L.A. manager and Hall of Famer Tommy Lasorda is improving, but remains hospitalized in Southern California. Lasorda, 93, was admitted to the hospital earlier this month due to what was originally referred to as a heart issue. Uh, it is believed his condition is not related to COVID-19. So we're thankful that uh, Tom's doing well, and we certainly wish him well uh, on behalf of the studio here. Great guy. Tommy Lasorda, Los Angeles Dodgers. And that's a wrap in sports, Big Dave, for this segment. Okay, thanks, Rick. Um, speaking of, of uh, older people with co- coronavirus, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Chuck Grassley's doing. And Ben Carson seems to be, I guess, out of the woods, although he sa- I guess the report is that he got near deathly ill and that maybe he may have also received Regeneron. Um, but I think I saw some report where his office or he claimed that the president basically saved his life in, in, in basically pushing him to do, I guess the Regeneron sounds like Ben Carson has had a very rough go of it. And, um, you know, that's the thing with this. I mean, you see all these studies that have come out with the, with the masks lately saying the masks are doing nothing to help protect you. The N95s maybe help uh, somebody who maybe has symptoms not spread them. But realistically, all of us run, walking around with these, you know, cloth masks that we're buying off of uh, Amazon are doing nothing. But having said that, though, you see cases like, like Ben Carson, and you think, you know, there's, it still can be dangerous for people, certainly older people. Yeah. He would fit, I'm sure Mr. Uh, Dr. Carson is probably in his 70s, if not late 70s. And he falls in that category of um, he's a high risk, you know, and, that, and that's listen, I don't want to wear a mask, but I do when I go places where other people are going to be out of respect for other people. If it makes them feel like uh, I'm whatever, I mean, I do it and um, I would certainly do it around if I was around my grandparents or my uh, my kid's great grandmother who's still alive, 94, 95 years old. You know, I wouldn't want to think that I would expose her. So. But um, it does hit people differently. And Dr. Carson was deathly ill. And it sounds like now he's at least, we ho- I hope he's turned the corner. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Chuck Grassley's experiences, God willing, he, he, he'll survive and, and recoup and come out the other side uh, to see how he does with it. But what's going on with our kids in schools and these decisions that are being made? My wife calls me today and says, would you submit to the kids getting COVID testing at school? And I said, absolutely not. And I said, who's asking us this? Well, the school districts are now asking all the parents because of the governor of New York, basically saying, once you get into these certain, once you have a certain percentage of cases, you're deemed a certain color now on the map, yellow, red, orange, whatever the hell it is that they've come up with. And to get out of those, for them not to just close down the schools, they want to test a certain number of the bo- a certain percentage of the of enrollment. And meanwhile, I'm thinking to myself, have you listened to the CDC director? <laughs> have you read any of the damn articles that says the kids are not spreading this? They're barely getting it. I just read you the article tonight about asymptomatic spread and what a farce that whole thing was. And kids, as we know, younger kids have not even, are, are certainly not spreading it, if even barely getting it. 
But yet here we are. Oh, can will will you submit to getting tested? A certain we need to test a certain percentage of the population so that we can keep the schools open. What? What yeah. science is this that we're following? Cuomo science. Yep. Everybody's afraid. Oh, if you don't listen to the governor, you know, because now if you if you don't listen to the governor, you're a you're a dictator. Yeah, but you're a special mask. A don't be a turkey this Thanksgiving. Yeah, don't yeah. be a turkey. Wear a mask. That does nothing. Um, Unless it's an N95. Maybe. Maybe. It's just, it's, in, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, because then what is that? If you agree to that, well, then they got you. What's the next step? What are you going to agree to next? What's the next step? Now you're going to, uh, we're, we're just going give to your, give your kid the shot so they can come to school. No, you're not. You're not going to do anything of the sort. And you heard Paul talking about the, uh, the side effects. They're still not telling us what the side effects are. Well, we'll see. A lot going on. And tomorrow, we'll see what happens in Pennsylvania. Um, we'll, we'll keep track of what's going on there. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens in Georgia tomorrow. Man, it'll be disappointing if that doesn't get filed for some whatever the reason would be. Let's hope it gets filed. And we see what, <clears throat> what is in there, all the talk of what we've heard, all the accusations, who from in Georgia will be in this filing. That'll be interesting to see. Is the governor mentioned? Is the secretary of state mentioned? Are other officials mentioned? See what's going on. It's a big day. Could be a big day. Could be a nothing day. All right, as always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, EMTs, everybody on the front lines. We salute you. Thanks, everybody on the show. Thanks, G. Thanks, Fran. Thanks, Real America's Voice. Most of all, thank you, the Live from Studio 6P audience, which continues to grow and grow and grow, and we thank you for it. We're back with you in 22. We'll see you tomorrow night, 8 p.m., live from Studio 6B.